Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood, and it's story time. And uh, yeah, man, it was a pretty interesting weekend. I hope you guys had a good one. I won't rent up the road to uh, Hollywood, where I uh, participated in the annual Writers of the Future Awards Gala. Now I didn't win an award. I do enter that contest every quarter. Best I've done in it so far is get a silver honorable mention, which uh, I think I've described that before. You got eight, eight finalists for three winners and 16 semifinalists and some number of silver honorable mentions, which generally be you know, 15 to 20 from what I've seen. And then uh, a couple hundred honorable mentions and then several thousand entries each quarter. So the uh, the main editor, Dave Farland, with his assistant, Carrie English, have a Herculean task every quarter to get through all the uh, all the entries and sift through to find the good stuff. <clears throat> There's so many entries that uh, Dave brought Carrie on. It used to be just Dave uh, going through all of the entries, but there game so many. He got her... Uh, her job is uh, the unenviable task of going through and waiting out the stuff that is obviously will not have a chance no matter what. And so I get the impression she doesn't get really get to uh, spend too much time reading the good stuff. Uh, it gets reserved for Dave. And then the panel of final judges who determine. Dave figures out the, the, the finalists for each quarter and sends the finalists to the panel of judges. And they do whatever kind of voting system they have. No idea how it works. Um, and decide the, the three winners for each quarter. So three winners each quarter. Four quarters. That's 12, 12 writers a year win this thing. And they all get put into an anthology. Sometimes they publish a finalist who didn't, get, who didn't win the prize because uh, the story was that good. There's, you know, can only have three winners. So if there were four that were that awesome, then... A lot of times I'll bring the fourth guy along as a published finalist. Anyway, the, the anthology gets published every year through Galaxy Press. Man, you can go and uh, and uh, you know check out the anthology. I do. Anyway, I drove up to Hollywood. Since I'm in San Diego, it's not that far away. They invite people who submit to come to the gala. I make it a point of going every time, every year if I can. Uh, several years while I was in the Navy, I wasn't able to. I did when I wasn't able to go last year because. I had something else going on, but I went this year, and that was cool. I saw saw Carrie English, who I became friends with uh, a few years back when I went, and Martin Shoemaker, who I uh, also became friends with that same t- time. They were both there. Carrie, of course, is there because she's the uh, assistant judge, and Martin won a while back and has been making a good career of it. So it was good to see those guys, and... Uh, yeah, so the other, th- other person who I know who, um, a couple other people I know are there, uh, Kevin J. Anderson, who is the you know, famous writer, 
in sci-fi circles. And I met him last fall at the WMG workshop for the business workshop I went through that I told you about. So said hi to him and Dean, the guy who runs those workshops, along with his wife, Chris. Um, he was there because he, he was publishing the first Rose of Future volume and they hired him to write a story for this one, the 35th volume. And so uh, he get, he came up for that. And so I get to see him again, see him more, far more often than Anderson. But uh, I feel a little bad. I kind of embarrassed Kevin Anderson, though, I think. I walked up and said, hey, Kevin, how you doing? Good to see you. And he's had some personal stuff going on. I was like, hey, man, how you holding up? And he looked at me. I could tell he was doing one of those, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, hey, man, how, how you doing? Because, we, yeah, we we met last fall. But it was the first time we met in person. We talked for a while, hung out for a bit. But, yeah, that was six months ago. <laughs> and so... He's like, hey, man, well, it's been a while, a couple of years. I'm like, actually, no, it was last fall, but that's cool, man. He's like, oh, it's not for me. <laughs> I walked up to him later and I apologized. I was like, man, I think I embarrassed you. I'm sorry about that. And uh, he chuckled and it was all good. But um, <laughs> I could totally relate because I'm super bad at remembering names. Uh, I could do faces and be like, yeah, I know that guy. Where do I know that guy from? And what's his name? I, I can't. I suck at remembering names. Which is why, one of the reasons I like the whole sci-fi concept and every time. I'm of two minds about this one, right? The whole, well, I've, and we're going to be reading more of the Pericles conspiracy here in a bit, but uh, the database implants that these folks have, some of these folks have in the story, right? Where uh, at last episode when uh, Kelsey looked back over her shoulder and did a little thingy and her name and contact information came up and in, uh, in Jeremy's field of view, it's like, that would be awesome because <laughs> you could just look at somebody and have your implant do a little facial recognition and that's Bob Jones and you know him because of this and here's and it's like little dialogue boxes pop up in your vision to remind you of stuff that would be cool at the same time it would also be a little little dystopian too because you know <laughs> I mean look at how the internet has gone from being you know the awesome beacon of freedom and hope and openness to being pretty much uh, pretty pretty much big brother totalitarianism writ large, right? Because you've got these little things going, put their finger, getting their uh, roots into everything, and next thing you know, somebody with a clever code can go and do that. Then you get an implant in your head that interfaces with the list thing. Oh, I don't know about that. That's probably a bad plan overall for human well-being and liberty to say nothing about the whole maybe that's the mark of the beast kind of thing yeah it, you know everybody you laugh i laugh but you know a, i haven't gone really into my personal beliefs about that sort of stuff at all really um i'm not sure this is the venue for that but i mean i'm a revelation and, uh, you know, hey, you'll get the stamp on your hand around your forehead as the mark of the beast. And then I, a few years back, I was, what, a couple, even maybe a couple of years back, it's like, hey, great, we can put an RFID chip in, your, in, in you and you can pay without having to carry credit cards. And you can put it in your right hand or you can put it up in your forehead. It's like, what? No, 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 we're not doing that. So maybe something like that in this database implant might end up being the mark of the beast. So probably maybe we don't like that. But there are times when that would be super, super uh, helpful. Anyway, so I could totally relate, and I do feel felt a little bad for embarrassing Kevin. But it was a good time, um, inspiring time to see all these guys and gals winning the contest that I continually enter 
and uh, haven't won yet. Emphasis on yet, hopefully. Although you can't uh, you can't enter anymore if you have more than three short stories published or any one novel published professionally. Professional being five thousand copies sold of a novel or you know, or or publication of any type, right? So five thousand copies of publication by their standards. So uh, I just sold my second short story professionally. The first one just got published. The second one that I sold this year to WMG is going to be probably next year. So uh, really only two more and then I'm proed out, which is a good way to have yourself no longer be qualified for the contest. The better way is to win it, though, right? Um, so anyway, continuing to, to submit to that. In fact, I just sent my story for this quarter out uh, yesterday. So that's good. Um, so anyway, that was a uh, that was my Friday night and Saturday and Sunday. I uh, actually so I have this now my writing laptop, which is a Mac because there's some programs that are work far better for writing and publishing on Mac than some other things, things like Vellum and a couple other things that um, you can't get on a PC or work better in the Mac version and. Uh, so I have a portable hard drive I've been using to make backups. And I also have a thumb drive that I back up my writing uh, files onto and carry around with me all the time, too. But uh, my portable hard drive died. And that annoyed me because, you know, hard drive dies. That sucks. And, uh, and then the other day, I, my computer glitched out and kind of crashed and came back up. And I was like, ah, okay, this thing's about five years old now. It's an SSD drive, so it's you know, longer mean time between failures on those than a physical hard drive. But still, I was like, I need to get back to backing this thing up. It's been like three, four months since I had my backup drive. And I had a long, long time thinking about uh, getting one of those, getting a, a home drive to go on my home network and just have that be my backup thing and all this other stuff. And so I did a little research on how these NAS, the net accessible storage things work. And, uh, I went ahead and, since I had this money came in from selling the house, I went ahead and got one. And uh, so I got myself a 8 terabyte RAID NAS, RAID enabled NAS. So uh, and I set it up in my place. And as I'm reading the directions, I'm realizing, hey, self, this is a no shit file. This is a no kidding file server here. I need to get a router. So I got a router. Because before I'd just been plugging into my cable modem, which is not the most secure way to do internet access, but. It works, but okay, I've got my own file server. I need to do a router. And then I started thinking, hey, shipmate, you, uh, you've you got your audiobooks that you sell through your website. And for, for now, I've been, you know, in addition to doing, doing Audible and all those other places, I sell through my website too. And I was like, shipmate, you've been, I've been trying to figure out how to, where to host those files, right? And I've been putting them Dropbox for now. And if somebody buys the audiobook, I send them audiobook, I send them the Dropbox link automatically through my web store but that's not the most secure link and there's some other issues with with that just i'm not i don't trust most things that are cloud because i don't control them especially in light of how much scumbags most tech companies seem to be and i want to i want to control it so but i was looking at this thing and i was like this is my own file server why don't I put my audio book discs on this? And it turned out, there, yeah, there's a way that I can link this up to my web store and that would be more controllable through me if 
servicing the files through there. It's like, I don't get that many people going to the web store, so it's not like I've worried about, you know, 100,000 person DDoS coming to take down my freaking thing because I'm trying to, uh, you know, 10,000 people trying to download the audiobook at once and crashing my system. No, <laughs> we're talking, you know, for now, that's more than sufficient. So I set that up, and I'm looking at it. I was like, hey, I can set up my own cloud, my own personal cloud thing, too, so I can access all my stuff and back up my files from all over. And I'm like, man, I should have done this years ago. This is great. And it's a cloud thing that I control. Brilliant. Ah, so that was the weekend. And I also lost a, watched a little bit of the PokerStars Caribbean Adventure uh, broadcast and Bosch. Since the new season of Bosch is coming out soon, I went back and watched a bunch of the uh, previous seasons just to get myself caught up. Man, this is going to be a great month for for TV because we got Bosch, got the Last Game of Thrones thing coming out here, the new Cobra Kai se season's coming out, and there's something else awesome coming out in April. Well, those three things alone would be awesome. Um, the Game of Thrones season... I guess I'm a little less psyched about it than I had been because, I mean, it's cool, but I guess the fact that Martin has never bothered to finish the books, I know he's working on them, and I know that there's all kinds of stuff going on, and I know I've got no cause to be critical, but damn it, man, <laughs> the, the fact that the, the EV series is going to be done before he finishes writing the damn things... No, if I was him, I think I'd just say, yeah, screw it, I'm not going to bother at this point. And maybe he is too. I don't, know. I don't know. I've never met the man, never reacted with the man. I know people who have and talk, who are friends with him. <sighs> Dean and Chris and Kevin and those guys, but it's like, jeez, oh, you know? Uh, it would be really hard in his place to be motivated to, to, to finish writing the damn thing when somebody else has already finished it for you. Uh, it would be tragic if he doesn't, though. Um, I mean, not that his series is the best thing ever, but it, it is a decently good series. But it's supremely popular, though. <laughs> In terms of, do you really want your literary legacy of something that's super popular as this to be like, yeah, buddy, never finished it, and the TV guys finished it for him? Yeah, probably, probably not how you want your legacy to go down. So I can, there's that pressure too. I will see what happens. Hopefully, he finishes it up and does a good job of it. But anyway. Partly because of that, and partly because of... I'm not sure. I'm just not as super psyched for the Game of Thrones finale as I thought I'd be. I am super psyched for Bosch and super psyched for Cobra Kai, though, so... Yeah! Did you guys see that trailer for the uh, Season 2 where Johnny's going and Reeman, Diaz, and uh, and Hawk out for uh, attacking while, while the back was turned and attacking the injury? And the, what do you guys watch pussies? You don't do that here! And it's like, yeah! Good. Uh, definitely liking how that's looking like it's going to go. Um, wow, but I've wandered on and on and on for almost 15 minutes now with this uh, update of me. So I guess we're going to do just one chapter tonight. And uh, sorry. But hopefully you got something out of this discussion and go on and, and uh, continue, uh, you know, Tuning in anyway, even though it's just me rambling. But let's get on to the story again, shall we? So when last we left, Joe had had uh, the conversation with um, 
Chandini and the NSA agents and uh, told them what was going on with Malcolm. And they're starting to investigate, try to figure out where the hell Malcolm is and what he's doing. And they brought down the wrath of editor on Jeremy Reynolds to get him to stop poking around about Pericles. So he's now off to do investigate. What is that guy's name? Zukov, Security Exchange Commission's guy who's having the affair with a mob girl or something. And Darcy's pissed off. But hey, at least he got the amusement of uh, locating the the office whore who thinks trading sex for job for for a position on story investigations is good. Uh, of course, he's got his own probably get in trouble for that too because you know intern. But yeah, you know, whatever. He's got. I'm sure it'll be fine. No problem whatsoever. Um, so let's see what happens next, shall we? I'll talk to you on the flip side. Enjoy. The Pericles Conspiracy, written by me, read by me. As always, I apologize for that. Chapter 7. Discovery Jeremy stalked into his apartment and flung his coat onto the couch, impotent frustration lending extra force to the toss. The last two weeks had yielded nothing. His new assignment was a complete joke, and he suspected Lou knew it. He had gone into Lou's office to present the data, certain that when he saw it, Lou would acquiesce and let him get back to the real story. Photos, documents, even the report from the private detective Jeremy hired to tail Zukov for over a week. Not a one of them showed any contact with the girl in question. Jeremy had even tracked her down, and if she was involved with the mob kingpin, that kingpin had some strange taste in contacts. He discovered her name was Chelsea Singletary. She was a hairstylist at the salon Zukov's wife went to twice a month and apparently was friends with Mrs. Zukov because they had tea together last Wednesday. All of it pointed to a big, fat zero. There was no story there. None. But Lou merely scrolled through the pictures in his television display, scanned the documents, and shrugged. Keep digging, he said. Keep digging? Jeremy was digging his career straight into the crapper. What the hell was Lou up to? He had never been this obtuse before. Fuck it, Jeremy said to himself as he pulled a beer out of the refrigerator in his kitchen. Plopping down into his stuffed chair, its upholstery was faded, and the seams were fraying in numerous places, but it was comfortable as all hell. He popped open the beer and, with a wave of his hand, turned on the television screen on his wall. One of those silly cop shows was on. Normally, Jeremy hated cop shows, but at that moment, he couldn't bring himself to care. For the next hour, he let his brain vegetate. He downed the beer, then another, then started on a third, hardly paying any attention at all to the program on the televid. He just sat. The electronic beeping of his doorbell intruded on his meditations, and he sat up in surprise. It was a Tuesday night. None of his friends typically did anything on Tuesdays. He had made no plans. Who was at his door? Setting his beer down on his end table next to the two empties, he went over to the door and touched the security panel. The video feed from the security camera outside the door sprang to life. The hallway, within camera's yield of view, was empty. Was this some kind of joke? Curious, Jeremy cracked the door open, then, still seeing nothing, opened it fully. He looked both ways down the hallway, and aside from the doors of the neighboring apartments, the wall lamps and potted plants in intervals along the corridor, and a trash bin near the lift off to the left. There was nothing. He was just about to close the door again when he looked down and saw a small package lying on the floor. He picked it up 
and turned it over in his hands. It was a box, about 10 centimeters long, five wide, and maybe half a centimeter deep. Jeremy gave it a shake. Something rattled around inside. He stepped back into his apartment, and the door slid shut behind him. Settling back down in his chair, he found the seal and pulled the box open. Upending it, a small black rectangle, made of metal, dropped out onto his palm, along with an earbud that was connected to the rectangle by a cord, of all things. Curious, he turned the rectangle over and saw that on the other side were written instructions. Put the earbud in your ear and press this button. This was just becoming silly. One of his friends was definitely pulling a prank on him. But what the hell, he figured he could use it a little laugh. With a grin, Jeremy put the earbud into his ear and pressed the button. His smile faded as a garbled voice, clearly electronically disguised, began talking into his ear. Mr. Reynolds, it is very likely that your apartment is bugged and you are being surveilled. Do not react to what I am about to say. When this playback is finished, the device is programmed to erase itself. All the same, I would ask that you take precautions to more thoroughly dispose of it. There was a pause, and Jeremy, for a heartbeat, thought one last time that this had to be a prank. But then the voice started up again, and he knew it was not. You've been asking about what happened aboard Pericles. If you wish to learn the truth, come to the Tavern on the Green at 1 o'clock. Tonight. Come alone, and wear a Yankees ball cap. You will receive additional instructions there. The voice stopped, and a few seconds later, smoke began rising from the corners of the device. The voice wasn't kidding about the device erasing itself. Jeremy glanced at the chronometer on the wall. 22.30. Then he looked over to his other wall, to all his Mets paraphernalia. Why did the voice have to be a Yankees fan? Oh well, no use griping. If he hurried, he could probably find a store that sold Yankees ball caps and make it to Central Park on time for the meeting. Feeling energetic and excited for the first time in two weeks, Jeremy grabbed his jacket and headed out the door. The overcast sky precluded any moonlight, making Central Park especially dark, even with the snow on the ground. Jeremy, feeling like an ass in his newly acquired Yankees ball cap, crept down the path toward the tavern on the green. He looked around carefully as he approached the famous restaurant, but didn't see anything out of place. As he stopped in front of the tavern, he smirked. He had never actually been inside the place. Hell, he had never been this close to it, despite having lived in New York most of his life. Funny how these things work out. He clicked on his chronometer display, tucked nicely at the lower left corner of his vision by the database implant, five minutes after one. Whoever he was supposed to meet was late, and it was freaking cold. Jeremy stomped his feet and crossed his arms over his chest to stay warm, his mood getting more foul by the minute. The soft clump of boots striking pavement drew Jeremy's gaze off to the left, where a shadowy figure walked down a path toward him. That must be his guy. Jeremy walked toward the person who stopped when they were about two meters apart. They looked at each other for a long moment. For his part, Jeremy couldn't make that much out about his contact. He was medium height and stocky and was dressed in a wool overcoat and fedora. Those had made a comeback in the last five years, but still looked exceedingly old-fashioned to Jeremy's eyes. Shadows from the hat partially concealed the man's face, but Jeremy could tell he had a mustache and a wide nose. You left Keto too soon, Mr. Reynolds, the man said by way of introduction. His voice was deep, and his accent had the sound of Central Asia. Is that so? The man nodded. I'm sorry you were disappointed in your interview with Captain Ishikawa, but did you really expect anything different? 
Jeremy frowned. How did this guy know about that? There were only a few people in La Chupacabra that night, and Jeremy was sure he would remember if any of them resembled him. The whole thing was beginning to make him feel a bit uneasy. But then again, he had been in nervous situations before. That's how you got the big story. Jeremy shrugged and assumed a carefree smile. Never leave a stone unturned if you want the story. You can never tell what's going to give you the scoop. Too true. Have you had any better luck with the others? This was becoming annoying. I have one more couple to try, the man snorted. You'll get no help from the Hershes. They've drunk the Kool-Aid more deeply than even Cap Mishikawa has. Jeremy rather doubted that. You'll forgive me if I decide to find out for myself. As you wish. When you're ready, come back to Kido. My associate is eager to speak with you. The man turned and began to walk away. Was that it? A lot of good your associate will do. The only other person on that ship was Malcolm Ngubwe, and he's dead. The man stopped and half turned toward Jeremy. It looked like he smirked, but it was hard to tell in the half-light. Is he? Jeremy strode into Lou's office, an excited grin on his face. I got a source, Lou. Lou blinked in surprise. Not so much that he had a source, but that Jeremy seemed to have regained his normal zeal for the job. Well, there's nothing like bringing down a crooked public official to do that. Good. Zukov's clever, but he's arrogant. I'm sure that Jeremy sniffed and made a dismissive gesture. Yeah, whatever. There's nothing worth printing there. I'm talking about my story. Oh, no. Look, kid, I know the Zukov story isn't that exciting, but Jeremy leaned over, resting his hands on Lou's desk. It's not any kind of story at all, Lou, and you know it. Lou scowled and stood up. No, I don't know it. If I knew it, I wouldn't need my best reporter on it, would I? I don't care if you don't like the Zukov story. That's the story you've been assigned, and I expect you to work it. Lou realized, suddenly, that he was raising his voice. Through the windows to the main press room, he saw several sets of eyes turning toward the office, perplexed and curious. Jeremy stepped back and shook his head. I'm flying to Quito tonight. When I get back, I'll have the story of the year. He turned to leave, but stopped when Lou replied. You walk out on this story, you can forget about coming back to work here. Jeremy looked back at him, a bemused expression on his face. Are you threatening me, Lou? Shaking his head, he left the office, pushing the door shut behind him. Son of a bitch. Lou slumped into his chair and wiped his brow. He was afraid this would happen. Reynolds had always been impulsive. Muttering to himself, Lou jabbed at the desk controls, and a moment later, Julian's face appeared on the display. Sighing, Lou said, We got a problem. Okay, my man Jeremy, not taking no for an answer. Go get some. Um, yeah, so I'm getting a little cloak and daggery now. Meetings at midnight in Central Park with mysterious strangers. Uh-oh. I think we've got a story going. Of course we do. I wrote it. Um... Yeah, we'd love to go through a second chapter here, but like I said, I got too long-winded at the first part of this, and I want to try to keep this to a reasonable length, and uh, so we'll we'll stop here. Uh, next week, we'll do chapters 8 and 9 and continue on. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, let me know what you think, as always. Um, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash michael.kingswood. Um, that's my Facebook page. I'm almost never there. In fact, I just added a 
pinned post to the top of my page. I hate Facebook. I'm never here. Come to my website and send me an email there if you want to talk to me. Um, it's just, that's just, you know. And consequently, yeah, one of my former ship, uh, guy, guy I used to know in the Navy, he <laughs> sent me a comment on Facebook. Hey, man, how about uh, something that you do this for one of your stories? I'm like, yeah, I'm planning to do it. And thanks for commenting on Facebook instead of emailing me. <clears throat> but, oh, well, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, so by all means, I'd prefer you go to michaelkingswood.com. Drop me a line there. You can leave a comment on this podcast and video. That works, too. Um, we'll go from there uh, but yeah let me know what you think and come back next week and we'll do some more of course you can buy the book please do ssnstorytelling.com or michaelkingswood.com click on the bookstore links and you can get print or ebook from me the audiobook I have not created yet because it costs you know, for this 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 book would probably be I don't know, 14 hours or so, 15 hours of reading, which you do that figure 150 to 200 bucks an hour. You can do the math on that. I haven't had, you know, two to three grand to spend on it yet. And hey, what the heck, I'm taking pains to record this cleanly. So uh, in a few months when I'm done with this, that'll be the audiobook. Yay! <laughs> nice and easy because um, I'm a cheapo. But, you know, if you guys go and buy a whole bunch of copies of the book so that I get a bunch of money coming in between now and then, I could get a pro read it. You can also get the book on Amazon, Kobo, Apple, iBooks, everywhere else on the planet. Um, and go from there. If you don't want to buy the book, that's fine. Come back, subscribe to the channel, come back, and and uh, we'll read some more next next time. Um, if you don't want to buy the book, but you do like what I'm doing and want to support it financially, since it does take time and money, and I'm trying to be a pro here, and my time is money, and so I should get paid for it, um, go by the website. You can click on the supporting patronage link and become a member of my website, where you can do uh, basically PayPal subscription stuff to uh, become a member. Throw a buck or two a month at my at me, and I'll throw a short story or two uh, at you each month in addition to this podcast stuff. And uh, more of that, you get more cash each month, you get more in return. That's how it works. Um, that will be helpful for paying for the, uh, the podcasting. Hosting fees aren't much, but uh, you know, it does take time to do all this. Time that I could be spending uh, writing or beating the children up. Or, <laughs> I don't really beat the children, but you know what I mean. Spending time with the kids or working out or whatever. Um, something. So, yeah. Not unreasonable thing to ask for, I think. Anyway, so you can go do that. But if you really don't want to do that, and you don't want to give me any love at all, that's fine. I love you anyway, and you can still come back and listen to the story. As long as you, you know, tell your friends about it. And, uh, yeah, so that's about it. Hope you enjoyed this. Hope you, uh, hope my rambling at the beginning didn't put you off too much. And uh, come back next week. We'll go through the next couple chapters. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. 
Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>